0: Hello, what's up? This is the Truth About Work podcast with me, Liz Ryan, and this is episode seven. I uh, talked a lot last time in episode six about Kroger, the grocery store chain. They have a lot of brands, not just the Kroger name. You probably have one near you if you live in the U.S. Uh, But um, I didn't expect to be talking about them again. In episode six, the story was that I had just heard uh, that um, they fought the union hard on testing employees for COVID-19. So let's just meditate on that for a second. You got a grocery store, the number one place where people who are trying not to leave their house, that's where they go because they have to, right? A lot of places, a lot of my friends on the East Coast say they can't get groceries, fresh groceries delivered because there's no slots. There's just not enough delivery people. And so they have to go to the grocery store and it's the only place they go outside their house. So you got to go in there if you want to or not. And the management of the store says, no, we're not gonna test our employees just reflexively, just automatically in the middle of a pandemic that is killing people and, and killing grocery store workers, by the way, we're not gonna test you guys. You have to pay for that if you want to individually get tested. Think about the irresponsibility, the cruelty and the callousness of that. You know. Would they tell their customers? Would they have a big sign at the top of the Sunday circular, the grocery store ads in the newspaper? By the way, we decided not to test our employees for coronavirus. We, we fought the union on that because we feel like, no, we don't want to spend that money. So we want you as our customers thinking about coming into the store and buying groceries from us to know that you know we'd never do that, right? It's supposed to be a secret. Like the customers are not supposed to know how cheap and evil and horrible we are. You are in, in physical contact with people, close to them. But no, we're not going to test anybody. Too bad for them. Too bad for the workers who are paranoid, understandably so, about health conditions in their workplace. We have a disease that has weeks of latency. People are sick. They don't know about it. They're asymptomatic, infecting other people. Mm-mm. No way. Kroger management, no way. We're not going to test them. So the union won that battle, that fight, and I talked about it. I was just so shocked because we know, we all know that the business world has this tendency to put money over people's welfare. Obviously, that's that's well known. It's, it's a trope that, you know, as soon as you talk about business, you talk about sharks, swimming with the sharks and cutthroat and all that kind of stuff. But what kills me is the permission that we give or withhold for, for leaders to treat people so badly. And we give that permission by, by our silence, by continuing to frequent and, and patronize places that, uh, that mistreat employees. It hasn't been a huge, huge topic lately. And now it's, it's becoming one. This is a reason we started human workplace, the movement seven, eight years ago. What is it? Eight years ago. Uh, if I know math, which I don't, um, to, to reinvent work for people because I'm a human resources person since the year one. And I loved human resources, but I was gaslit, gaslighted in human resources. Cause I got, I was moved in there into the human resources department by my boss, John Brady, who was such a great leader and great mentor and cool dude. And he, I was running another department in our company, fast growing greeting card company. And, uh, greeting card, giftware, mugs, all this kind of stuff. It was fun. A lot of young people, people of all ages worked there. It was a really funky place, really fast growing, but you know, it was very diverse, very like whatever, whoever come on in and great people. I still keep in touch with some of them today, but, uh, but I was running a different department called order processing. I started out as a customer service person over there in that company when I was 19. And by the time I was 24, I was running this fairly large department like 45 people called order processing back in the day because this is 1984 you guys and uh john brady put me in hr he said you're going to be hr manager i was like what you got to be kidding me that's why what did i do wrong he goes nothing why do you say that i said because it's i i don't even know that much about business but i know hr is not a cool place to be in the company it's just so it's it's like and he said okay so do it your way. Don't use that excuse that you didn't like the way you you saw this function. You know, do it do it the way you think it should be done. And by the way, we're trying to hire a million people, so make it a cool place to work and make people want to work here and bring their friends here, and that'll be that. And I started. I said, cool, but I didn't know anything about the laws and whatnot, so I had to go to a lot of workshops and seminars. And I went to them, and I was like, yeah, I, you guys having any events about like gender? issues at work because i noticed that's a big thing even when i was managing order processing and customer service i i noticed that was a big thing and they're like what it's 1984. i said uh so let's you know talk about what are you guys doing in here about you know um diversity and about embracing people our our place the greeting card company was full of out gay people when there there was not that many out gay people in offices at all and it was and a big part of my job in hr was like Um, um, you know, um, what, what am I trying to say? Helping people who had not been around that many out gay people, you know, uh, just be fine with it. And, and for the most part people were, but occasionally there would be things there would be shocks and shakes because it was, um, jarring for some folks to be in an environment where we were like, yeah, whoever you are is awesome. And we're glad that you work here. And it was a lot of fun. I did some really fun stuff in that job and I learned about HR and I had a great time. But I felt very, very um, gaslit by the profession, not talking about stuff that we should desperately be talking about. I I couldn't get a conversation going in in our local HR council about sexual harassment when it was rampant in the 80s because... They said there's a law against that. I was like, oh, is there a law against that? Well, then I guess it's a non-issue. Sexual harassment, you guys, or just sexual, you know, um, um, misuse of power. I mean, come on. So in the back of my mind, learning about HR and learning how to make a great culture and how to recruit people and how to talk to people and listen to people, resolve problems and Deal with fear and trust, which is omnipresent in the workplace. Um, I realized that what I wanted to do when I had the wherewithal and the time was, uh, you know, talk about these topics and and reinvent HR and reinvent recruiting and reinvent work for people, so that we are honest about about the stuff that's important. And so, you know, the big divide is between the business. We're going to talk about the business and the people, which is the real stuff. You can't do your business without people. And we talk about a grocery store, bring it back to Kroger. It's all about the people. So the idea that you could just say, well, it's a negotiation point. Should we test these people for COVID-19 or should we, maybe the union should bear that cause and then the employees can bear that. What would you say that at your shareholders meeting? By the way, I don't know if you guys saw this in the news, but we really fought the union. They wanted to be tested at our expense. Are you kidding me? Now I remember, I know from our kids worked at grocery stores and in general, grocery stores are a very low margin business, right? And I've heard a lot of stuff about how, you know, they sell a $2 item and they they make, you know, a buck, a, a penny and a half or something in profit, but not now, they're making money hand over fist. And by the way, their executives are paid obscenely high amounts, it's ridiculous. That they would be so cheap, so, ugh, irresponsible. I mean, murderous, really, to to let people come to that store every day and not test them, and not pay for that. But then that was that was that was the last episode, and then and the union won. So yay, so crisis averted. But then it comes up again. Kroger all over Twitter yesterday because now they have, I guess, inadvertently, paid some people too much. There's a letter circulating around. 460 bucks they overpaid an employee and they and they send this very terse uh, uh condescending awful authoritarian letter that says you know we're going to take you tell us whether you want it all taken out the 461 out of your next paycheck so maybe you get nothing or seven dollars or out of three paychecks or whatever like they don't even start by acknowledging they do acknowledge at the end of the letter sorry but not before they threaten in bold type their own employees who they screwed over with a payroll mistake. They threatened them and said, if you do not sign this thing, there will be a collection actions like the government. And this is my problem. You guys, your employer is not the flipping government, but they act like they are. They, they walk and talk with this authority that they confer on themselves. And frankly, we unfortunately have been trained to also confer the same authority on them. They're big and I'm small. That's nonsense. Ridiculous! So this insulting, horrible letter gets circulated around, and I go on the Kroger Twitter account just to see if they're getting completely ratioed, and they are. And It was great to see. And the scariest part about it is that the person at at, at Kroger Inc., who's supposed to do social media, oh my God, they're so outmatched. People are posting all of these things on their Twitter feed, and and the person keeps retweeting the same thing like we have a strong commitment to our talent employees come first it was like the same tweet repeated like they don't know where to go there's nobody with the wherewithal with the authority with the presence with the credibility with the honesty to just address any of these comments so they just keep plugging in this boilerplate like we believe it is in the best interest like it was so sad but within hours, they reversed the decision to yank money out of these poor, essential workers. You know, I did hear that they they reversed that decision, but they're, as of right now, as I understand it, continuing with the decision to yank hazard pay. They know people no longer need hazard pay. Evidently, it was hazard pay that was overpaid that led to the confusion. Our mistake, our mistake. obviously the the right thing to do once you realize you paid and they said it was only a handful of employees overpaid them, small sums by Kroger standards, certainly by the CEO's personal income standards, right? You've overpaid them is that you sit down in a meeting and say, oh, you know what? in the middle of a pandemic, we're not, the last thing we're gonna do is send out some terse, horrible, bureaucratic memo from payroll saying, we need our money back. We're gonna say our mistake, take it with our, you know, good wishes, you guys rock. And you and you talk to your accountant and you get it into the books as an as inadvertent bonus. You think if the CEO was overpaid 400 or 4000 or $40,000, they'd get a terse email from payroll? This is the thing that kills me. One of the mantras in HR is that everybody's treated the same. That's a complete lie and you know it. Everyone is not treated the same obviously, right? From in any single way, from who gets their coffee to how much they get paid to how they're addressed. Why do we tell that lie? So, you know, me getting sick of being gaslit as an HR person, we're going to we're going to talk about today we're going to talk about you know, um, how many sick days a person should get in their first year of work. And we've done a survey and this is what we found. Okay. That's really cool. But if we're going to talk about sick days, let's talk about the basic fundamental problem with sick days, which is that, you know, people can't help being sick. You can limit the sick days. You can say there's two, there's six, there's nine. That's, that's good conversation to have, I guess. But whenever a person runs out, their choice is to stay home without pay. Or come to work sick. I mean, and now COVID-19, the chickens are coming home to roost. So much of what we've just taken as, this is the correct and proper way to do this stuff. It's best practices. It's It's not any kind of best practice. The best practice would be to keep the flipping people healthy, obviously, right? Above all other concerns or priorities. And why can't we just tell the truth about that? Why can't we just say this is how work should be organized? We're... We don't have to be here in the United States so obtuse and stupid and destructive. It pisses me off on a personal level. But anyway, that's kind of the, per, that's kind of the professional thing I wanted to say about COVID-19 is just this, this, this news Kroger story that really shows us what we accept or, or are not willing to accept. You know, would we accept that from, from, from leaders of companies? I mean, we're in charge, like we the people, right? We vote. We, we shop, we spend money, we actually hold all the reins, and it can be hard to acknowledge that and say, damn, I don't even want that responsibility. I know, but we have it, and it's whether we use it or don't use it that, that makes all the difference. And when we see something egregious like this, I'm thrilled that, that journalists sprang into action yesterday and wrote stories, and people got on Twitter, and they made phone calls, but, but wow, you know, it, the system itself that would allow a group of people... I'll be kind to decide to sit around a meeting, a Zoom meeting probably, and decide, yeah, let's do this letter and never have a thought, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, context, you guys, we're in a pandemic and these are the people we call essential workers and none of this was their fault. They're coming to work and doing their job. Why are we sicking fictional imaginary collection agencies on them? What What is happening? And I think these kinds of experiences are instructive because maybe they'll get the leaders at Kroger and all the other leaders who have done ham-fisted things during this pandemic, and there's a lot of them, uh, to to stop and say, we have to rethink the way we communicate, the way we make decisions, and, and, and basically the way we present to the world, our employees obviously being a big subset of the world, the most important people to us, more than the people who shop here. Think about it. What is an employee, one employee worth in terms of goodwill and good feeling compared to one shopper? The employee's worth more. Obviously, there's way fewer of them and they are your face to the shoppers, but you're going to stomp on them and screw them over? What? What is happening? Foolishness, stupidness, right? And cruelty and it, ugh, I'm not good with it. But I'm going to answer a couple of questions and then I end on like a little positive note see I can do more than rant had a question about a manager title on a resume Paula Paula says I've been a manager my last several jobs but I'm job hunting right now and because of the economic conditions the job market I want an individual contributor job I don't want to be a manager I don't want to compete for a manager job Uh, should I take the word manager off my resume for those last couple three jobs and and not call myself a manager And I said, not, you know, the thing is you get into like, what was the job? And, you know, I'm all about, I am all about creative writing in a resume. Believe me, I I hope I've made that really clear in my stories and podcasts. Like I am all about um, pitching a resume to, to, to speak to the intended audience. It is a marketing document. Um, But I think that taking the title manager down to something else if you were actually really managing, it's, it's, that's in a way damaging, I think, potentially or weakening to you uh, energetically when you go on interviews and when you talk to people. And there's no need for it. You have a summary at the top of your resume, and it's this wonderful place to frame the rest of the resume. So in the summary, you say, here's who I am, here's what I do, here's what I'm, what I'm planning to do. And you can list it, an actual job title. You can title the summary with the job title of the job that you want even if you haven't held that title before you're not saying this is what i've been doing for 20 years you're saying this is who i am now and what i'm planning to do and just visually that frame is going to is really going to influence the way that reader is going to read the rest of your resume right particularly if you're changing careers or in your case Paula changing you know sort of the job the ideal job that you want from a manager job to a non-manager job so you can do that because that's you're not claiming I, I am credentialed in this in this particular role. Unless obviously it's a job you can't call yourself a lawyer or a doctor or anything that requires licensing. But you can say, you know, the, the example I always I always give in, in talks and stuff is like a guy came into a live workshop I was doing and he said, Help me brand myself. I'm writing the summary at the top of my resume. I'm a lawyer. Like sixteen years doing contract law, doing all these different kinds of law, and I'm really good at it, but I what I love, what I found I love that I got to do that I've been lucky enough to do in my lawyer job is stand up training. And I, and I design curriculum and I deliver it and I, you know, not to put myself over, but I'm really good at it. Just, just, you know, delivering this pretty dense stuff to lay audiences, uh, who don't know the subject matter and having them really get it and understand it. And so I'm happy about that. And it's what I want to do in my next job. So his summary that he read to us then, said, I'm a lawyer with 16 years of experience doing blah, 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 looking to transition into corporate training. And he wasn't getting any interviews with that resume, unshockingly, right? Because he's asking right in his summary for permission. And we don't realize that we're doing that. Framing, just like the framing where, you know, your employer, because they have a payroll department and they have a typewriter in there, can send this horrible, you know, talk downy, awful, like from God, like from the movie Brazil, mean letter with a threat in it in bold type, and that's fine, and there's no problem with that. That's normal. you know. And I have gotten some email saying, what's the problem? You know, they, It's their money. They shouldn't have paid it. Well, it was their mistake. Did they bear any responsibility or cost that would be operationalized in terms of you know not putting people through more disruption? But uh, be that as it may, the frame of this gentleman's um, summary was that Please, somebody give me permission. Well, no one's going to do that. And I s- joked, I said, look, at, I have little boys, I have a foam sword, I'm sure in my car, I can run out and get the foam sword, you can kneel on one knee, and I can dub you a corporate trainer. But you've been training all this time, so just claim it. Rewrite the summary. And we rewrote it, and it was like, I'm a corporate trainer who's been delivering, you know, dense blah, 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 to lay audiences of executives and whatever for umpteen years, and you know, looking to bring my knowledge of the law and this and that. Now he's stepped in already to the new space that he wants to occupy. He's stepped into the new frame. This is the hardest thing, you guys, is stepping into your own headshot. Back when it was safe to go out and about, I would say to folks, if you're in reinvention, if you're going through a change, go pay for a, a headshot. Get somebody to take a really lovely photo of you that just looks and feels great put it on your LinkedIn and then it's going to take you a few months to step into that new headshot. But that's a really worthy thing to do, right? Cause we change and sometimes we have to give ourselves permission and give ourselves a little nudge, a little wind at our back to say, yeah, go ahead and take that step and call yourself something that you've been doing that you, that you didn't realize you've been doing. So in Paula's case, instead of saying, Oh, let's pretend I was never a manager, how are you gonna get through interviews and and it's not gonna come up? Like, well, I managed this project. I managed. Wow, you did a lot of managing, Paula, for a non-manager. Plus, I mean, you could run into practical issues when you get to some kind of background check, and it's just not necessary. If you change the resume, you also have to change the LinkedIn, and now you're really, uh, you know, contorting. It's 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 you. You're on a fabulous journey that nobody has but you. Nobody ever has had, and no one ever will. So just live in it and claim it and say, at this point, I'm interested in individual contributor roles because I love programming. That was always a thing. When I worked in tech, people were like, yeah, no, I don't want to manage anymore. I want to design stuff. It's more fun. Okay, cool. Right? This is what I want to do. I bring all this other cool stuff, but this is what I want to do now. And will there be a percentage of people in fear such that they can't let you back in because it's too scary because you were a manager. Yup. And you know, your resume is a branding document, which means it attracts the right people and repels the wrong one. It's not bad for our resumes to repel uh, a bunch of frogs so we don't have to kiss them. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So that is the answer for Paula. And I got one more engagement. Okay. Email from an HR person. I'm sorry. I forgot your name. How do I engage people at home? Okay. Yeah. I mean, look at engagement is a really weird term. Uh, Employee engagement is a big buzzword now and engaging with the mission. First time I ever heard that term engagement in the context of employees giving a shizzle about their job, which is how many people use it these days, uh, was, um, about 20 years ago. I was having lunch with a woman I used to work with who at the time, 20 years ago, worked for a behemoth, uh, one of the big um, carriers, a phone company. She worked for the phone company, and they were going through massive layoffs. The other recession, not the two thousand eight nine, but the one like two thousand one two, and it was the dot bomb thing, and was hitting all of tech. And so this HR person was laying laying off dozens, scores, hundreds of people, just grim. And I said, "So how are you managing? And how is morale?" And she goes, "Ugh." It's 2001, Liz. Nobody uses the word morale anymore. Now it's engagement with the mission. And I said, okay, run it down for me. What what am I missing here? And she goes, they need to be engaged with our mission. And we were having lunch, and I just sat there with my fork in my hand and my mouth agape. They need to be engaged with the mission. They're down in Maslow's sub-basement worrying if they're going to have the rent money next week. Why in God's name would they be engaged with your corporate mission, which anyway is a massive massive corporate entity who who possibly could be engaged with that mission other than the ceo and the chairman of the board why do they have to be engaged with your mission how narcissistic can we be so so that was an eye-opener for me i love the idea of giving employees creating an environment where people can care because people are are, are oriented to care. They're wired to care. I I would argue most people want to care about their job and connect with their job above the level of just a paycheck, but, but you don't make it a requirement and to work on engagement for people at home, a legit question from an HR person, you know, it's great means meeting more of their needs. It means meeting more of their needs. So it means inquiring, not to the point where it's obnoxious, but just saying, what what can I help you with? What burden can I take off your shoulders? What obstacle can I remove? Are you getting paid correctly? Once again, Maslow's basement, right? Talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You got to get paid. You need the food, the shelter before you can care about anything else. So rather than this idea of engaging employees and making them excited and happy, we're in a pandemic People are sick and dying. It's terrifying. It's incredibly stressful. And and the best thing to do is relieve stress. Take the stress away. A lot of people have stress right now about coming back to work. Who could blame them? Is it safe? How safe is it? How would you know? I mean, we're going to be paranoid for a long time. And that's appropriate. That's evolutionarily the right thing to be. So engagement is going to mean going maybe further than perhaps as an HR person you have been oriented or trained to be in the past in in terms of making sure it's a physically safe environment. And then on top of that, moving up from Maslow's sub basement to the regular basement, you know, uh, emotionally safe. That means a manager comes in and says, you know, I need to write this person up. You say, okay, really, Charlie, walk me through the situation because I'm going to have a high bar for you to meet. If you want to write somebody up right now in the middle of a global pandemic. Okay. This is not business as usual. And, and we hired these people, we have a duty to, you know, to care about them as people, right? Which is where Kroger is falling down left and right and embarrassing themselves. Because at the end of the day, hate to use a cliche, but what are you going to do? You know, we all have to live with ourselves and look in the mirror. We can't blame, well, I have this job and I have no choice. I have this, I work in this industry and I have no choice. We, we all have to make ethical decisions every day, hard ones. And, and sometimes we have to bow to some kind of external pressure. And then we, we say, how am I going to get out of this pressurized situation that is sucking my soul dry, which could be a job search. It could be whatever. I have great empathy and sympathy for everybody, what they're going through. But I don't give people a pass uh, on these ethical questions because it's not a question of what I think, who gives a shizzle what I think it's you and your body. It's not good for you, right? Nobody would encourage you to stay in an abusive romantic relationship. Nobody who has your best interest at heart and nobody who has your interest at heart should encourage you to stay in an abusive toxic work relationship, right? For the same reason. All right. So moving on and closing out here, I told you I was going to talk about a professional and then a personal aspect of this week in COVID-19. And, um, we talked about the professional one and the Kroger thing. And, uh, and really changing the shape of work, which is a conversation that we're all in. I hope that we're all in that together. We don't get to sit on the side of the of, of the divide that says, well, I'm just a victim, I'm just an employee, I'm just a job seeker, what can I do? Well, we can all do a lot, actually. We can talk about this stuff. We can educate ourselves, we can educate our friends, we can, we can talk about the fact that work is broken. It's one of the most broken things. We got a lot of broken things going on, right? End of an era of institutions that are crumbling around us um but we can take an active role we can certainly make choices that that match up with our values even when they're hard to make and um i know because i've been there a million times and i continue to find myself in that spot but here's the personal thing is that this pandemic this crisis has slowed everything down And right now I'm getting so much mail from people that say, I didn't realize how ill I was. I didn't realize how twisted my lifestyle was. I was racing to work, racing to the gym, racing home, never having enough time for anything, completely distracted, completely unhealthy, eating badly, getting down on myself, feeling like I was maybe approaching some kind of yardstick that signifies success to some people that I thought maybe had influence or, or, mattered to me. And I see now it was garbage. And, and now I have an opportunity and better for better or worse, an obligation to redesign my life around what I believe and what I value. And it's mind blowing. And I never would have wished it on myself. And I never would have wished this virus, obviously on the world. It's horrifying, but here I am and, and, and God or the universe or the laws of nature or whatever, mother nature, just, plunked down this big old stop sign in front of me and said, you got to stop and you got to look. And this is not just, you know, people with privilege who are working from home, but essential workers who are also saying, okay, so, you know, boil it back down to, you know, having the job and, and doing what I can around work to take care of myself. And what do I value? And I also have to choose. I have to choose. I don't have the opportunity to be carried along by the lazy river, not least because the lazy river itself is gone. There aren't even jobs that you can just thoughtlessly do like there were for years and years and just kind of, you know, lazily kind of climb the ladder or whatever because of inertia and because you get into a rut and the rut pulls you along. That's not even one of the options for most people who are worried about keeping the job they have. So it puts us into a mode for more action, more awareness, taking more control mentally, emotionally, physically, thinking more about who am I? What am I on this planet to do? What's important to me? What is the ecosystem like around me? Where can I be useful? Where can I support myself? Where can I support other people? And what do I need? What do I need you guys?